So it's what you bring into a story, whatever you have psychologically that makes you tick. So I got my old boss, I got him into video games again. And at first he didn't know where to go, so I was funneling him some games. And one of them was the new God of War reboot. And mm. man, that game gave me goosebumps and made me tear up. And yep. because I'm a dad, and I'm a dad that struggles with being emotionally distant from my children and being harsh. And, you know, so just the things that Kratos, I mean, obviously not the trauma that he dealt with, but a lot of the other things... I could really resonate and my boss is not a dad and he was like meh yeah it was a pretty good game it was okay I, I want to shake him because it was like ah oh, man this this game changes you and how you think about that your relationships but it just didn't for him because he's not dad Welcome to the 42 Podcast, where we discuss life together, looking for answers to life, the universe, and, well, everything else. Here are your hosts, Rob and Lindsay. Good evening. That sounded like we were almost in perfect sync with that, the opening. I was just thinking the same thing. Yeah, yeah. We should start a band. We should. Sorry, Lindsay and I have a thing we do at the beginning of this, right before you hear us talk, to make sure our... Everything's in sync, and we can record, and yeah, normally takes us a minute, but that, that time, it was almost perfect. Very proud of us. Yay, us. Mm -hmm. Sorry. It's like my favorite part of the but... whole podcast. Oh, ouch. <laughs> I'm just Wow. You spent an hour talking <laughs> uh... with me, but your favorite part is clapping in. Clapping. I like clapping. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. You're just applauding our conversation because you know it's going to be phenomenal. We'll stick the, with that. The slow clap. The slow clap. Okay, well, anyway, good evening, Lindsay. How you doing? I mean, good, good. This is this is the 42 podcast, After Dark again. After Dark, midweek. Midweek, yeah, because uh, I'm on vacation. Yep. So we're squeezing this one in there, so we don't have to do anything this Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> yes, everybody can sleep in, and for you, sleeping in is what, like three in the morning? <laughs> I can tell because I open my eyes and like it's too late. It's too late in my room. Like what the? Oh no, I missed things. But yeah. if we're going to perform at this late at night, I think the topic at hand is probably a good one to do. And at eight fifteen at night. That's very true. But this is also the first time for me normally, where okay, I'm. I've told my kids, it's 8 o'clock, you need to start going upstairs, getting ready, uh, you know, electronics are done, they're down to books for the evening. So for me, that means that the Xbox, or the Nintendo Switch, is finally free for me to get my hands on. Ooh. So this is like, mm -hmm. this is my time, this is the moment when I get my hands on a gaming console. Cool. So you have a Switch and an Xbox. Yes, we have a Switch and we have an Xbox. Cool. So, and and I've had an Xbox for years. That's been my console for years. And that's all because I got introduced to Halo, which is now a classic game. It's 20 years old. When you were a kid, you got... No, um... No, I, I was playing first-person shooters before that, but 
the Xbox and Halo was when I kind of realized that you could play a first-person shooter game on a game console. Because before Halo, they were all kind of, yeah, to me. I was a computer gamer in the 90s. You were. Hey, there he is. Hi. What's going on, Robert? Uh, good evening, Colby. How you doing? Hey, so, um... No, no awkward man crushing this time. Yep. First time meeting you. It's good, <laughs> to, right. good to talk with you. I was a little gushy and maybe two whiskeys in. No, that's all right. I was six beers in, so that's okay. <laughs> well, and and the beard just took me because again, I'm I'm gonna stick with it. That is a marvelous beard. Thank you. Yeah, very impressed. Very jealous. I've never had the stick withedness to get this far. <laughs> <laughs> I have, but my wife has threatened scissors in the middle of the night, so... Yeah. Yeah. You gotta do what you gotta do. I, I let it grow longer, but not like that. I, that's, that is a beautiful beard. Thank you. He, he gets a nice Gimli beard going on. So, yeah. Yeah, mine's very, uh, like, uh, Amish. Leonidas. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Look, I... There are enough Amish down here. Your beard is nothing like that. No? Nothing. Okay. No. Because there's kind of, they, they like poof it out. Oh, okay. And it's got this rounded fullness to it. Yeah. Yours oh, has got yeah, like okay. a Nordic straight, like, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> don't meet this guy in a back alley with edged weaponry kind of yeah. I re to it. I recently got myself a pair of aviators and my, my nephew has taken to calling me uh, McGregor. Like Ian McGregor, I guess. I get the, the Colin, Colin, Colin McGregor, whatever, whatever. I don't do the UFC guy. Yeah, the UFC guy, because I guess he's got oh, a big yeah, yeah. I don't have the attitude though. He's a short guy though. He's like my height or a little bit shorter. I'm short. Yeah, I'm only okay. Define I'm only five, short. I'm only five nine. So. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm only five five on a good day if I'm wearing oh, okay. my lifts. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're not short. That I would be happy to be five nine. <laughs> <laughs> Everywhere I've ever worked with, all the guys have been over six feet. So I'm always the stubby guy, and it's exacerbated by the fact that uh, so the the ratio of arm length to torso length is called your ape index, and I have mm -hmm. uh, mine's not very good. So I make fun of myself and say that I have T Rex arms. So ah. so I can't like I I was telling one of the guys today we're trying to put a roof on. I told one of the guys today, I said, I have to have my wife put on my hat because I can't, I'm like a toddler. I can't put the hat on my own head. <laughs> That's pretty good. Well, all right. All the initial goofiness aside, Colby, you are joining us for a very specific reason this evening. Yes, sir. Because we're talking video games. Yep. And and we kind of just started warming up and talking about that a little bit with, you know, eight o'clock with my two kids. This is the time when I start getting my hands on a console for the first time in a day. Yep. So, what's that look like for you guys in your house with gaming? That's usually after Miles goes to bed, depending on what the other kids are doing. If they're busy, I'll turn something on if Lindsay's not already engaging the TV. So, <laughs> <laughs> Star Wars, usually. Uh, so, I'll usually uh, <laughs> pop it on then. Other than that, maybe sometimes Sunday afternoons, I'll sneak away for a little bit and get it on for a little bit before Miles gets up from a nap or something like that. Then there are other nights where if I'm playing something that kids can watch, we'll use it as like some bonding time, you know, cheap cheap and easy bonding time. I get to sit and, and play a video game and they can pester me. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. I, I will say this. I did teach my kids how to play Halo. And so yeah, 
with, with Halo. My son is, is starting to get to the point where he can beat me in it. So there, there's been some good bonding over it, but I'm getting to the point where it's, ah, uh, there's going to be some rage quitting in my future, I feel <laughs> yes. like. Yeah, so the kids have a Switch, and they like to play Mario Smash Brothers. And I've oh, never, I've yeah. never, I've never been good at fighting games. And there's a lot going on on the screens with that. A lot of stuff going on in the background. There's some random rules that's dependent on the map. And I sound like such a cranky old man when I play that game because it's like I can't focus on which one's my character. I don't know what's going on. What's happening? How did you beat me? So, and and again, being entirely fair with that, I cannot do Smash Bros. There's too much, and it's. I don't know where to look. Yep. So same thing, but being in youth ministry, all of my students at some point have been like, "Oh, we need to play Smash Bros. We need to do a Smash Bros. tournament," and they just get to sit there and watch as I'm like turning redder in the face, going, <laughs> "Stupid control!" Yep. Have you guys ever done Mario Kart as a family? Yes, that's the most recent acquisition. Is uh, Maggie wanted that, so I made Toby and Maggie each put up one third for the game, mm-hmm. and then I put in the final third. So then we bought that together, and I actually can kick their butts at that one. Yeah, Mario Kart, I, st- I can still give everybody a run for their money, but my- again, my son is getting a lot better at it. Yep. And, uh, but I'll tell you what, that's a that's a good way to make everybody angry in my house as well. <laughs> yeah. Somebody gets that blue shell, and it's all over. Ah, yeah. how dare you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yep. But okay, so then you guys have used the Switch as well for some family time and bonding and yeah, uh, to connect with the kids. Yep. Yeah, I I usually am too spent by the end of the day, you know, to to do much. So it's an easy way to do something with them that you know we can all enjoy together. Well, if I may ask this for you, what do what do you use video games for? Like, is it unwinding, venting, or escapism? Um. I was kind of thinking about that in advance for today. Some of it's escapism, and some of it is that I don't know exactly how you how you'd want to couch it or or how you'd want to word it. It's that funny in between time that people use TV to do, where you're not ready for bed, but you're not like I'm not ready to disengage my brain to watch TV, but. It's too right. late for me to be active and to do anything else. So it's it's mi- mildly engaging for my mind and for my hands, and I'm active in, in a way that I'm not with TV. So it, it fills that little void in between. I guess probably it's closer akin to reading. I've honestly slacked off on my on my reading. <laughs> Lindsay, what are you letting him do? I know she she she, she keeps throwing books at me, and I just go yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> I just tuck it under the side <laughs> table. <laughs> <laughs> if it's fair, I'm still behind on my reading list, and I, I really haven't like read read a book. I've been using an audiobook app yep. to keep up with my reading, so I, I kind of feel like I'm cheating on it, but mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, yeah. I can put one of those on while I'm playing. Yeah, I do that. I do uh, I do audiobooks on my way to work, you know, and so that's that's where I get my reading done most of the time. Hey, and and that works. Okay, so for you, it's kind of that actively disengaged, yeah, yeah, neutral space. Mm-hmm. Okay, very cool. And you and I talked a little bit about this the first time we we interacted, but you have an hour to sit down and play something. What are you going to play? What are your go-to games? So they tend to be open-world games because of the fact that 
I can, if I'm feeling it, I can, I can do a story mission and be engaged and plugged in and, and feel the intensity of a story arc. Or I can just putter around and explore, you know, level up some skills, do some grinding, do some crafting. I kind of like those types of games, but they got to have some directionality to it. Like, I've tried Minecraft, and it's way too open-ended. <laughs> I can't do it. The same with Zelda. I tried Zelda. It just, like, there wasn't enough story there to drive it along, or at least it didn't really? grab me. At least it didn't grab me. I should say that. I, it didn't, it, there wasn't enough of a story to hook me in with it. Zelda Breath of the Wild. Yes. Did you get past the opening plateau? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they just kind of went like, here, here's some divine beasts for reasons. And they kind of did give you reasons, but I was just like, I don't care about the reasons. Like, I don't know. The story just didn't plug into me and didn't resonate in any capacity. It didn't hook me in any way. So I was just like, meh. It seems like a lot of See, work. See, for me, for me, Zelda Breath of the Wild was the first Zelda I've played and been like, wow, I'm engaged <laughs> since Zelda Link to the Past on the Super Nintendo. Okay. So I, there's a whole genre of games in the middle that I was like, eh, no. Yep. Alright, sorry, Lindsay, you were like, eh, and you wanted well, to give me an opinion. I was excited to play it because we follow some channels on YouTube, and they talked about Zelda a lot, and so I was excited to play it because it seemed pretty, and it looked like an interesting story. But for me, I think it was way too open-ended, like trying to find all the shrines so you can get the health, so you can get the life and, and stuff, and the fact that your armor is constantly deteriorating. First off, I could never find the shrines or get to the shrines. I found a bunch of them, but I got stuck, and then I got disconnected from the story, which I think is why it's not so great. What, you know, the story might be good if it was sort of more linear and driven by the story instead of trying to do all the errands, which um, bored me. So I, I didn't end up. I mean, the story might be great. Maybe I should just go watch all the cutscenes, but <laughs> no. but I just I don't like when they try to combine a heavy story driven with the wicked open-ended like you have to make your own shoelaces type game yeah so yeah there's yeah you gotta find that balance with some of that stuff and and honestly as i've gotten older i've I found the balance in those games harder to find because uh, more and more games are going more towards the open world you do anything you want approach a situation however you want and it and it starts to be dissonant to the story you know, so it's not, it doesn't jive with the story super well. And in a game like Zelda, you get this urgent sounding story, you know. And again, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe, I, correct me if I'm wrong. But in my mind, as I remember it, it was pretty urgent sounding of like, this needs to happen to save the realm. Oh, you know what? I'm going to go figure out some new food recipes. I don't know. Some, I have a little bit of a hard time with some of that stuff. And cyberpunk's been the same thing, hasn't it? For you is the, the story well that was just the open world which just the, the story was cool and i liked it right but the open world that that forces you into in between was just so empty and lifeless that was more of it and mechanically they didn't do a good job yeah the story was there but it, i don't know i expected with like cyberpunk because i i wanted to try it i wanted to like it it seemed like it was a good concept i like yep. keanu reeves but when i started playing that you know, I want to shoot a car and watch the car blow up. Yep. And the car just sits there. and it, it it didn't have that interactive, I'm affecting the world I'm in. It felt like the world was affecting me. Yep. So. Yeah, it just felt like they were checking off a series of boxes. Like, okay, we got the open world. Okay, we got the crafting. Okay, we got the, you know, yeah. 
We got Keanu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, with video gaming, it's entirely based on your your perspective. So, I mean, there is no wrong answer. If it's a game that you like and you engage with, who cares? Right. It's right. it's got to be what you prefer, what what helps you to engage and be in the game, in the world. Yeah, it's it's what you bring into a story, you know, the baggage that you might have, whatever you have psychologically that makes you tick. You know, like, so I got my, my, my old boss, <laughs> I got him into video games again. Like, he hadn't been in them for ages, and I sold him my, my PlayStation 4. And at first he didn't know where to go, so I was funneling him some games, and one of them was, was the new God of War reboot. And... Mm. Man, that game gave me goosebumps and made me tear up. And yep. because I'm a dad, and I'm a dad that struggles with being emotionally distant from my children and being harsh. And, you know, so just the things that Kratos, I mean, obviously not the trauma that he dealt with, but a lot of the other things, I could really resonate. And my boss is not a dad. And he was like, meh, yeah, it was a pretty good game. It was okay. I, I wanted to shake him because it was like, ah, oh, man, this this game changes you and how you think about the, your relationships, but it just didn't for him because he's not dead. And and that is one of the great things about video games, especially a good one, is when you get engaged in that story, because it's not just a story; it's something that you're now living out mm -hmm. in in its manner. I mean, that's it's the same effect that you want with a good book. You are in that world, being that character, being those situations that. So. And I gotta say, God of War was one of the few open-world games that I actually finished, because I, I loved the story that much. And it was a really good balance of being driven and having to go find the things and do yep. the things, and a super cool story. Like, I mean, it actually really reminded me of The Last of Us, with a lot of the dialogue mm. that would happen from point A to point B, where... You're not in a cutscene, but the characters are still having this dialogue, and I love that. I'm about the story. If yeah. if you haven't figured it out by now, I love the story, and um, so I that was that's one of my top top games is uh, that God of War story. Yep. All right, so it seems like one of the biggest areas that we're we're camping on and talking about is kind of the open world games that are out there now, that give you a, a freedom of choice in how you play and who you are in that world. Mm -hmm. And I always find this to be interesting, especially talking with my students. So when you play these open world games, when you're given the morality choices, where do you fall at in that? Do you play as a good guy? Do you play as a kind of chaotic neutral? Do you play as a bad guy? My first playthrough, so where I'm kind of feeling things out, they tend to be a chaotic neutral, more or less. You know, I tend to be kind of a moral pragmatist uh and i find myself being more socially liberal than i would be in real life you know if you change the context of something like like the witcher 3 they deal with issues of xenophobia with elves and racism i should say yeah some and you know some other issues some some issues like that that they couch and when they put it in a slightly different light given the context of that world i tend to be less on the religious side because they have an equivalent to Catholicism in that game, the established religion and things like that. I tend to be more on the, on the left leaning side of the way I approach a situation, which I wouldn't in normal life necessarily, but in general, I tend to be more of a chaotic neutral when I play a game. 
Lindsay? It hurts my conscience to do bad things, <laughs> even in video <laughs> games. I don't like it. So I'm usually, I usually try to be the best version of myself. <laughs> like things I know I wouldn't do or couldn't do in real life, I get to do them in the video game. So I, I yeah, I definitely, I tend to do the, the good thing. Okay. Because when I've done the bad thing or when I've made a bad decision and they yell at me, I always feel really yucky. I don't want to get yelled at again. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Rob? I I kind of try and camp out on that rogue position. Just uh, so more chaotic, neutral, dark, chaotic, neutral. Of I'm I'm just I'm gonna do my thing, and if you don't like it, well, I'll shoot you in game, and move on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but there's yeah. there is one game series where I don't do that with and I don't know why but Mass Effect when I play that game I'm trying to get the Paragon points the whole way through I, I almost no Renegade points that's the only yep. game and I sit with that and I wonder about that because it's why am I trying to be good in this game and every other game I'm burning things down mm -hmm. yep so I, I played a bunch of Mass Effect 2 and I played a bunch of Andromeda until that thing bored me to death. Yeah, don't skip Andromeda. So, well, we I got it through Game Pass or something. I got it. I got it without having to pay for it or something like that. So I I tried it. I want it now that they have the Legendary Edition out. I'm thinking about going back through the series and going through the series because I never finished the series. I I have some advice for you on this when you're done. I want to give it to you if you're going to play Mass yep. Effect, but go for it. The thing I find with that series is they. They plant you as the leader of a squad. And I think if you're a decent person, that's going to change how you approach. You know, like, you're not going to feel the lack of consequence. That's a well-built game to give you the weight of decision-making because it's going gonna, gonna to impact, you know, those around you in the game in a more integral way as opposed to, like, Dishonored. So you're part of a conspiracy, but you're doing your own thing. You're there for your own reasons. They don't matter that much. And, and that's actually a really good, uh, I, I never caught that before, but that is a really good thought where you're leading a group of people and that that has consequence in game, where that affects how they view and interact with the world as a whole. So that's actually really good. I never considered that before. I like in Mass Effect, and I think it's happened in other games too, but I can't remember which games, where you collect people you collect a person into your team and you you make a conscientious effort to make them feel included on your team. So you go talk to them and then they'll, through dialogue, if you go talk to them one, one or two times, they'll say, oh, well, I have this problem and I, I, need, I need help. So you go help them and then like they're yours, like they're dedicated to you. And so you kind of won them. You've won them over to the team. Yeah. I like that. That's pretty cool. I, I want to draw something out a little bit further with that but real quick with mass effect if you do go through and play the legendary edition just view playing mass effect one as getting through the grind that's what i've heard just just do it grind through it get it done get as much as you can and be done mass effect 2 and mass effect 3 mm -hmm. are where it really finds its feet and, and makes a name for itself those are those are the good games yeah but all right that's my advice on mass effect Okay. Yeah. Something else that you and I had kind of talked about, and I think we can play off of this even a little bit further with what Lindsay just said, where, you know, Mass Effect, you're finding your team, you're building your team with Fallout 3. There it is. 
that's that kind of same feel. You're building mm-hmm. up communities around you with the characters you're trying to find, with the relationships you're trying to build in the wastelands. And it's the same in New Vegas and Fallout 4, is you're trying to find and build community. And you said you, you played Fallout 3 and liked it. Yep, I liked 3. I liked New Vegas the best because, and again, I think I think those connections, the relational connections, are, are done really well there where the, the, the followers matter. They they get comfortable with you, and then they will give you a quest that furthers your relationship, increases their uh, some perk of theirs, you know. So there's a gameplay element in there which is really well crafted. Um, you know, so both of those they do a pretty decent job with those. And then New Vegas, not New Vegas, sorry, Fall, uh, Fallout Four. I feel like they stripped it back, and they're like, okay, well, we did these things before, we'll do it again, but. This time they're just they're just glorified quest givers. You know, it's much more mechanized feeling. It doesn't feel like there's a soul to it. It's you know they, that's why you get all the memes about yeah. Preston. And Preston is annoying in that game. I tried to shoot him yes. multiple times. Multiple. <laughs> I might have. He's essential. I know. <laughs> but I just want to take the fat boy launcher and stick a mini A bomb somewhere where he doesn't know. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and and i think that's actually part of why i love the fallout series of like mass effect going back to that you basically had three options at the end of it but fallout mm-hmm. i mean you can basically burn the world down for the most part yep that was one of my favorite ones in fallout 3 was when you have the choice to blow up megaton i that was my favorite i love did you that. do it no I played through it multiple times, so yeah, sometimes I did it, sometimes I didn't. But I like the irreversibility of it. But of the two, I mean, which is the one that's like your default setting of this is blowing it up. Really? Yep. I blew it yep. I blew it up on a playthrough and then I realized how many resources I lost doing that. Yeah. And it was no I'm not I'd milk the place dry first. Yeah. There was it was still a good central point to use, which Yeah. So once I did that, I realized, no, I think I'm just going to go through, I can't remember the tower name, but I'm just going to go and you know, shoot all ten the penny. rich. Yeah, Tenpenny. I'm just going to go shoot all the rich and yep. steal their stuff. Or you let all the ghouls into it and no. you get that mask, which is kind of cool. No. You didn't do that. I, li- I preferred, like... I like the mask. I preferred sneaking around and killing them. Oh, okay. You know, sneak up on someone, <laughs> put a grenade in their pocket and watch them walk away and boom, or, you know... <laughs> wait until night when they're all asleep and p- uh, pretend I'm a serial killer. I, I apparently have some very dark tendencies. <laughs> Boys. Most people are like, yay, let the ghouls in and save it. I'm like, I'm going to sneak around and hunt them one by one. Yeah. I definitely I, I definitely have done that a few times, too. You just go through with a minigun and... Oh, yeah. Well, and that's, that is one of the best things about Fallout as well is when you get the power armor for the first time and you start getting like the minigun and then the Gatlin laser and the rockets. Yeah. Yeah. And they just, they give you weaponry that is proportional to the size of the world. Mm-hmm. But my favorite, my favorite with uh, fallout three was when they did the Pittsburgh expansion. Yep. And, uh, you know, me being from Pittsburgh, I, I loved that map. I loved walking in on uh, Fort Pitt tunnel bridge because i mean that's what i would go across to go to pittsburgh and you you get the view of the city coming out of the tunnel it's like yes this is how you start a game right 
And then you finish that and you get the armor and the description for the armor is um, the black and gold represents the gods of this city. And it's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Go Stolers. Yep, I guess I, I've never been to Pittsburgh, so I guess I don't have that connection to that part of it. So I can't relate necessarily to that part, but so and and that same It'd be vein. Like if it was Portland. Well, so there's a there's a in Fallout Four. There's a DLC that takes place in in Maine on the coast of Maine. Bahaba. Uh, yeah, Far Harbor. Yeah, so that's a that's oh. one I should play. I guess that's like the whole the best part of the whole game series, the whole game. Uh, Far Harbor was a fun one. I, that's when I play Fallout Four. That's one of the first ones I go to. Is Far Harbor? Yep. All right, so what is would you consider Mass Effect the apex of gaming? What what is the best even if it's not your favorite game? The best like culmination of all the aspects of a video game to you. You consider story, character, mechanics, things like that. Grand Theft Auto. Really? Everything that they have done in gaming is about three to five years ahead of where games want to go. Everything. I mean, when you think about it, GTA 3 was controversial because you could pick up a... uh, There's no polite way to say it. You could pick up a streetwalker and drive to a dark alley and, you know, park the car for a couple minutes and you got an awkward scene. Yeah. That broke some walls that then you get, like, Mass Effect that comes along a couple years later, and there's alien butts walking around (laughs) in-game, and you can choose to take that route. You have Grand Theft Auto that introduces open-world concepts in gaming that was groundbreaking for that era of gaming, because the only other thing that did open-world was real-time strategy games. But there wasn't a shooting element like there is in a first person, so they're combining these two things together to make a massive world that you can now interact with and destroy. And then, you know, games started following suit on that of more of our environment should be destructive. Yep. But then at the same time, you have these story elements that are being driven by you, the character, with your choices. So, you know, you've got the morality choices, the morality plots that fit into each of the games, and... You know, Grand Theft Auto is not something I ever recommend to my students to play. But what they do really is a couple of years ahead of gaming. I mean, yep. the, the open world gaming system they have now for GTA, I don't even remember which one they're on, 5 or 6, whichever yeah, it is. Yeah, 5. They've been a 5 for like almost a decade now. They've re-released it like four times or something. Yeah, so, but what know. they've been doing is they've been milking that open world MMORPG Yep. Which, you know, you've got Fortnite that's catching on to this now. Well, not catching on to, but has been building that same kind of concept in a smaller space. And a few others. So, it's not my favorite series, but what they do really kind of paves the way. At least how I see it. And maybe I'm wrong, but what they do is paving the way for some new groundbreaking stuff. Mm-hmm. Piece by piece in gaming. Yeah. Yeah, they were one of the first ones to do an open world, three dimensional. Yeah, with with a. It was number three, I think, was the first one mm-hmm. that was, yeah, full three D open world game. Yeah, they've been mm-hmm. ahead of the curve the whole time. Yeah, and I mean Rockstar has been doing some amazing things with that. Like even when they did, uh, was it Red Dead Redemption? That one changed some things about how we look at period piece games. 
and what we can do with those and how we tell stories. To me, that's the game that suffered from being open world. The original Red Dead Redemption, I, I would give a little pushback. I would say that that one did well. The second one, one of my students said, I really need to play it, I need to try it, so I did. Yep. And I think I got like 12 to 16 hours into the game, and I was barely past like a quarter of the first chapter. And no, no, I, I no. Yep. Why? That one to me really suffered, because they made it so big. Yep. Yeah, and, and, and the, the needless details, you know, I don't care that the horse testicles shrink in cold weather, you know, or the fact that I immediately have to skin the animal, like, just let me click a button and have it be done. Right. You know, if I want to go chop real firewood, I'll go chop firewood. I don't need to play a video game to chop firewood, you know? <laughs> exactly. You know, hunting season's coming up. I can just go hunt for real life yep. rather than play a game where I'm doing everything I would do in real life and getting none of the benefit. Yeah. So, there's this guy that I like to watch called DJ Peach Cobbler. He's a bit crass, but he's on YouTube, and he's a young kid, but he he talks about video games in a way that's really artful and, and has a really interesting way of looking at video games, and it's changed the way... You know, some of those, some of those games like, like that, like Red Dead Redemption 2, I couldn't put a finger on why I sold it after playing, you know, a dozen hours and just got bored of it. And he, he, he hammers on this one point called Ludo Narrative Dissonance, where the gameplay doesn't jive with the, with the development of the character in the story arc or, or the urgency, you know, like the whole game doesn't come together as one cohesive picture. Like, a, a situation where a game does that well is Far Cry 3. Okay, yeah. I... So he starts out as a wuss who his military brother gets shot in the neck. He runs away freaked out. He has to be taught how to hunt and how to kill, and he is disgusted with it at first. And then over time, he becomes the guys that he's trying to kill, and he becomes distanced from his friends that he's saving. And by the end of it, you're given the option to kill those friends because you become so infected by this primal culture. And everything in the gameplay reflects that. That's really good. So I'm going to go back to the uh, GTA series. I think it's number four he talks about. I've never played... I played Vice City when I was a kid. I had fun running around in the shopping mall and shooting everybody. You know, I was, I was that kid. And the tank cheat code? Yes. Yep. Yep. Infinite tank and infinite ammo and all that stuff. Yep, but number four, he's like, he comes from the Soviet Union and he's trying to be a good person, but then you as the player character is driving around running over everybody in the, in, that he can see. That's dissonance, you know, that's breaking away from what the character wants in the story moments. Well, and that's, that is the benefit of being able to build your own character in an open world, not, not being driven by the story, but the story being driven by your actions. Yep. And... You know, going back to what you were saying with Far Cry, that was an excellent game. I do remember playing that because when you were playing it, every decision, every action, you felt like it didn't just have an effect on the character, but it had an effect on you. You connected in with that. Yep. And I, I think that's a huge piece of, of a good game is that storytelling that draws you in, not just for the moments of escapism, but to be a part of the story. Yep. And, I, and another game that really does that well because it creates space, it manufactures space in the storytelling. Is the Ghost of Tsushima on PS4? It's a it's it's a it's an open world samurai game. It's about when the mm. Mongols invade Japan, 
So you start out as a samurai, and you are the only one that survived. You know, the they assault the beach, and you're almost dead. You get saved, but you get saved by a thief who teaches you how to be more like a uh, a ninja, basically. In, mm-hmm. in essence, so you start using less honorable ways like poison and things like that to kill your enemies. So, I mean, the, the story is phenomenal. And the best thing about the story in my mind is the space that it gives. And so many games are like action scene, action scene, action scene, and it like rush to the next action moment, the next like push towards the climax. This game took the pleasure in the quiet moments. You know, the scene, like the night before the battle, they would take the time to have the two people drink sake together and like show the passage of time by the the pile of sake bottles growing, you know, and just nothing happened, but it just developed the characters in this quiet, slow, methodical way. I loved that. This is a a favorite. I haven't played this in years because I'm just behind on it and I, I haven't gotten a hold of the gameplay mechanics just yet for the new versions. But did you ever play, uh, Oh, I'm blanking on all the game titles, but Agent 47, the Hitman series, there it is. Oh, the Hitman, yep, yep. Um, I bought the reboot, so it's just called Hitman, I think, and I play at night when I'm mentally fatigued, and it's always intrigued me, and I liked it, but it's always so open-ended, and I like kind of like the fact that it's a puzzle and you got to try to figure out each level, but I'm just always too tired to be bothered by it so it's sitting on my shelf right over there and it just you know i haven't made any headway with it not because i don't like it but just because i'm i don't know just not this phase of life i guess i i'm i'm looking it up so i I have the correct information but i remember playing it, it would have been hitman 2 silent assassins i remember playing that and i really enjoyed it and that was that kind of game that i could get into because it is that methodical puzzle solving but you're also Mm -hmm. trying to be that silent assassin because that's what i was aiming for every time i wanted to figure out the puzzle to to get that silent assassin to be the shadow and in and out yep but at the same time you had these the the gameplay wasn't exactly determined by how you played but i mean you had the the consequences that played out and what you could afford to buy later and how you could play I enjoyed how it drove the story, but the story drove you and that that balance of it. So, hmm. Okay, interesting. So, changing tact a little bit, bringing this up kind of made me think about it. So, again, going back to what you get out of a game. So, Lindsay would never do this, but I do. Is sometimes I find a game that mechanically I just love it. Like I love the mechanics of it and the aesthetics, and and like I don't care about the story at all i can have no story and i don't care like to some degree the the dishonored games there's some story there but none of them really matter it's mechanically i love the mechanics of those games and so like well and the artwork for those games is beautiful too oh yeah it is and and those are beautifully crafted games themselves we talked the other day about the fact that i played skyrim for 10 years I bought Skyrim more than any other game. I think I bought it four different times over the years. <laughs> but Dishonored, like, I have probably beaten that game eight times, you know, just repetitively. I'll go through and, and I'll, I, you know, 
I'll get the the clean hands and the ghost perk. So I'll go through the entire game without killing anybody and without being discovered at all. I'll save spam through the whole thing, you know. Every 30 seconds I'll save the game, you know, that kind of thing. You know, and then I'll go through again. I'll just murder everybody as viscerally as possible. You know, so, you know, that mechanically, that's that's what gets me about that game. I love those mechanics, and I just don't care about the story. Do you have a game like that that you just you just want to you just love playing it? it? Doesn't matter. Halo. Yeah. It, it's Halo yeah. for me. I. It, well. Yeah, it's Halo for me because. I I grew up. I had the Nintendo originally. I had the Super Nintendo, and then I unplugged from gaming, for like the mid to late nineties, on a console. I did. Uh, I did all my gaming on a computer because that was where the rise of the first-person shooter was. That was where that best technology was at that time. So for me, another the, the game that kind of truly defined and is the one that I, I love but can't play really that much anymore is Half-Life. Yep. I love the Half-Life series. Gabe Newell, if you're a listener, please release Halo th- or Half-Life 3. <laughs> please. <laughs> But Half-Life was was that game for me in the early 2000s, and then I discovered Halo, and it's been Halo. I I will play any of the Halo games. I'll just turn them on, jump in game, and it it doesn't matter which game. It doesn't take me long to pick all the controls up and the mechanics to it. They're pretty solid between each game, and even now with the Master Chief Collection, they're a little more unified, and it's just I can jump into that story... I know where I'm at, or I don't care where I'm at, and I can just run around as a super soldier and kill aliens. Yep. So, yep. it's a little simplistic in, in my mindset, but it I can kill an hour or two just running around killing aliens and yeah. be happy about it. But, yeah, there's a... So, I bought the, I bought the Doom reboot, and... So that that does the same type of thing where just it like there's oh and the, the, they lean into the fact that there's almost no story you know like anytime there's a moment for a story he just breaks something yep <laughs> yep shoots it breaks it punches it kicks it doesn't matter just yeah I'm done I I will admit this I was playing through the Doom reboot I was enjoying it I was loving it and then there's one yep. point I got to and I can't get past it it's something like the I don't remember which one it was, but I finally said, "All right, enough. I'm. I can't." Even with the BFG, I was low on ammo, low on, and I couldn't beat it, and it frustrated me. Yep. But yeah, I, I got to the same point. I've never beat it, uh, so I got to the point. It, it was soon after, a little while after they introduced the summoners uh, type. You know, the things that levitate and teleport around. Yep. It yep. wasn't long after that, and then there was like four of them and a bunch of other things, and I was like, "Okay, all right, this is. I don't. Uh, yeah." Yeah, that's about where I struggled with it too. Is once you start getting now, no, and <laughs> yeah, just now that crest, that graph of like effort to payout, like starts to become inverted, and you're like, yeah, I just don't care. But some of those early levels, just running around, blasting demons with ridiculous weapons. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. I can enjoy that. I mean that, and again, I played some of the original Doom as a kid, and that was. That was the old style graphics, and even going back into what? The, oh, um, oh, whatever the Xbox Live monthly thing is that you can subscribe to and get however. Game Pass. Yeah, Game Pass. Thank you. 
the new Wolfensteins came up on that a couple months back for me. I was like, ooh, I, I remember playing the original. I'll give it a try. Uh, and I went through and played those, and again, that was just, that was fun. Was it? I, I, I've been thinking about, uh, so I I tried the the very first, like, reboot one, and it just didn't grab me, but I know, like, the, there's a couple newer ones than that, and I guess that those are really, really good. Yeah, once you get past that first one. There's the one where he's wearing, like, the nano suit. I guess that one's really good, and I want to try that one. The, the story is, is you get captured, and they cut your head off, and, you know, and then you, they reattach your head to a Nazi super soldier, and now you're running around as a, you know, with a Nazi super soldier body as B.J. Blagovic or whatever his name is. Huh. That was a good one, because they, they powered you up on that one. You're like, yeah, all right, yeah, I can finally <laughs> blow it all up. But, yeah, yeah, once you get past that first one, or you skip that first one, they do get better. They have their yep. slow moments, but they they normally try to balance that out and bring your explosions and basic mechanics back to shoot, yep. kill. Yeah, I, I did enjoy going back and playing those. It, I have enjoyed some of the retro stuff that they have brought back and just kind of reintroduced and breathed new life in. It, they're, they're on the corny side, and when they own that corniness like Doom did, I think it makes it yep. a better game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just having the confidence to own it, you know, own its identity. Yes. It, it's not like it's not like some games where they try to be a bit of everything. That that's just mass marketing, you know, kind of at its finest, <laughs> Cor- yeah. corporate structure or whatever you want to call it. We're gonna remake this game, and it's gonna be the best game ever, and we're gonna do it by committee, and it's gonna be ridiculous. Yeah. Own some of that, yeah. laugh at, and just. Yeah, move on. But no, there have been some good remakes. And you guys do have a Nintendo Switch, so I do recommend... uh, I can't remember what Nintendo subscription service is, but you can go back and get a bunch of the old retro games. Yeah, we have that. Yeah, we're doing that. The kids like to play that a lot. I picked a way through some of those. So (laughs) so when I was a kid, my sisters had the original Nintendo NES. I was a little young to play it. We play. I played some Super Mario, some of the Duck Hunter, mm. and then a little bit of Doctor Mario. But again, I was a little too young. And the game I played the most was this corny Moses game yep. called Exodus. You played? <laughs> yes, played I did. Exodus, and then there was another one that that same company made that was like Noah's Ark. It was a. But yes, the Exodus game. <laughs> I remember that. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah, I went through and actually watched a whole playthrough of that recently, just because I was—I want to know what the end of the game looked like. <laughs> I don't—I never got to the end of that game, but I remember going to the Christian bookstore in Robinson Township, where I grew up, or not far from where I grew up. And you know, I was a little kid; I was just getting into gaming, and Mario was there. But there was also, you know, the the fear of what games could do to kids. And I remember my parents seeing. The, the Exodus and the Noah's Ark game is what I'll call it. And being like, oh, that seems like a good idea. Yep. And they weren't bad games by any means, but, you know. When you're a kid, you don't care. No, but I'm, I'm looking back years later going, wow, those are kind of theologically problematic. plot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I haven't thought of that game in forever. <laughs> 
Yeah, it oh. popped in my head one day, and I was like, you know what? I gotta see if there's anybody on YouTube that's played that game, and there was. There's a whole playthrough of it, and I <laughs> one of those things where I like I pieced it together while I was on the toilet or whatever, and watched a little bit of it over a week or so. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. Wow. I, I will say this: I went back and I made my kids play the original Mario. Yeah. And I just kept laughing as they kept dying on the first set of Goombas or the first pits or you can't get the timing and jumping right. And I was yep. like, ah, watch this, kids. I got this. Crap, I can't play this anymore. Yep. yep. How did I do I that as a kid? same thing. I did the same thing. Yep. Yeah, the, Toby was getting so frustrated and he passed it over to me. He's like, you try it. I'm like, okay, I got this. This is simple. It was like two buttons. No, I died so many times. I like, I, I gave it back to him. I was like, I don't know, man. <laughs> How did I do that as a kid? I mean, yeah, come yep. on. The timings were simpler back then, I guess. I don't know. Well, you had that, I don't know, you have more neuroplasticity when well, you're a child. when you're a kid, okay, when we were kids, our parents, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't play games with us. We just, if we wanted to play games, we were on our own. Yeah. We just played the game. Yeah. Our kids play with us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> My father, and he still uses this today in, in introducing what I professionally do, one of the things he'll say is, you know, I, I used to yell at him when he was a teenager of, you will never find a career where you need to play video games. Well, I'm in full-time youth ministry, no. and being able to relate to kids on the latest Call of Duty, or Minecraft, or at least having some form of knowledge of what the latest games are, helps although i have to admit i'm getting to the point where for that stuff i'm starting to lean on my own son to catch me up yeah <laughs> hey ray what's the latest game what's the fun stuff what's <laughs> so what was your policy for your kids like for us our kids were really young when we started having them play like open world Lego Mar uh, Marvel superhero game, and they just would like wander around with like looking at the sky, you know, like <laughs> yeah, they couldn't quite get the three dimensional. <laughs> I mean, they were under. little; they were really little. Yeah. Um, sticking with that, starting off with that, and they played that for a really long time. But what has your tradition been with your kids and how old they were when they started playing, etc.? So, technically. Mel has a picture somewhere, I'd have to find it, of Ray and I playing Halo when he was like six-ish months old. He's just sitting in my lap with a diaper on and a controller in his hands, staring up at the screen with me, and, you know, I've got the other controller, so he thinks he's playing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, he has been playing, to some degree, games since he was old enough to start understanding him. Now, we limit the time, we limit the games, we, we make it very clear that if you at any point lose the understanding that this is fantasy in any way, with any game, that they're done. They're done until you can delineate between the two again. You know, I we've got the parental settings, they've each got their own Xbox profiles, and we've got the parental settings on that, and same with the Switch where the parental settings are, are set to whatever the maximum is. I get weekly emails through the services on what they're doing and what they've done, who they've messaged. But we've been fairly liberal. Not, you know, here, here you go and leave them unattended, but 
So they play, like, the games where you can talk to other people? No, they don't do much online gaming. They they do some with, like, the tablets. We'll sit down as a family and we'll play Among Us. But we do that as a family. Ray does have a friend who's now down in South Carolina, so we've begun, because friend's down there, we've begun to introduce and let some of that social gaming in, but it's, you know, one friend who we know. So it's not just anyone that you're meeting online it's got to be people we know we already have pre-existing relationships with so there's yep. some online gaming but not mass for it again being in youth ministry i hate playing online because i'll get online and i'll start playing something you get that 10 year old who's got a mouth and thinks he's the hot crap of the game and it no i'm not here for that and that's too much of ministry i already deal with with my own students so we're very cautious with that, but there are elements that are slowly being introduced and phased in and monitored, and you know, we probably over-communicate with them about why we have concerns of X, Y, and Z and predators and idiots and all of that. It's probably better to over-communicate than under-communicate. Yeah, and I mean, we there are games they're not allowed to play. Like, I have games they're not allowed to play. Um, Mass Effect is one that I've told my son, yeah, not yet, because there's that one trail you can follow, and I don't need yeah. him going through that right now. I mean, he's 11. He doesn't need to play a game <laughs> where that's a piece of the gameplay. Right, right. But he plays Halo with me. He and I will sit down and do a chapter or two of Halo, and actually, my daughter will do that with us too now, so she runs through and does a chapter or two of Halo. And But again, we're very cautious with with knowing what's in the game beforehand and how how they interact online. Yep. Now the turnaround's fair play. What are you guys doing or will do as your kids get older? Um, Toby's going to be turning nine next month, so I'm kind of feeling it out with him. I've been. So earlier this summer I was playing uh, Shadow of Mordor, which is, mm. you know, fairly graphic, but it's not. They're, they're humanoid monsters, you know, yeah, so it's a kind of like, eh. Um, so I let him watch that, and he got such a kick out of it. The girls thought it was disgusting, and they left the room. And because <laughs> uh, there's a lot of beheadings and, you know, things like that, you know, it's it's rough. Uh, but Toby got a kick out of it. So, you know, I'm kind of, that kind of pushed the limit some. I've been playing Skyrim. They watched that. That is pretty tame most of the time. As you level up some of the, the combat skills, a little more intense. Again, just kind of feeling that, that next step out of, like, human-on-human -human violence and, you know, kind of those types of things. You know, and, and Toby's at a place where Maggie's not at, you know. And, but, so Toby and Maggie are an interesting couple because they're 17 months apart. So Maggie wants to be right where Toby's at, but she's very different than Toby. So it's hard to delineate between... And then Evelyn's tagging along the whole time and does, it would, hates being left out. And she's three years younger and than And she's Maggie. three years younger than Maggie, yeah. So it's very hard to navigate that. So when I have Toby by himself, it's easy. I, I will push the limit and he will be honest when he's like, okay, I'm uncomfortable with that. I'm not cool with that. Okay, good. All right, we'll stop. You know, whatever. But when it's with the girls too, I have to be much more conservative. You know, so... I like the Assassin's Creed series. I plug through those. So, I, you know, I kind of stalled out on Valhalla. 
I would let them watch me a little bit with that. But again, I mean, it gets pretty visceral. And so Toby, I would be fine letting Toby watch that. Maggie and Evelyn, not so much. They don't need to, they just, am I worried about them enacting it out or becoming callous? I don't think so, but with my upbringing, my parents were a little too loose, a little too early, and I have a tendency to be a bit on the callous side of things, and so I'm trying to navigate past that with her help, you know, to try to find the balance between what's sensible and allowable and, you know, filtering past my own callousness of violence. When I was six, my favorite movie was Hang 'em High by Clint Eastwood. You know, <laughs> like, like, I remember watching Raider R movies before I was eight, plenty of them, you know, like, my dad would rent them and my mother, <laughs> I don't know where she was at, what was happening, but she would let me watch it with my dad. And <laughs> so... I don't remember what we were watching, but it made a Dirty Harry reference. You know, are you feeling lucky, punk? Yep. And uh, Ray asked me, he's like, what's that talking about? And I laughed. I was like, I guess it's time we start watching some Clint Eastwood movies, kid. <laughs> I think he's seen a rated R movie. Yep. You say he's 11. Yeah. Yeah. 11 seems... If you can find it, you know, like... like gladiators rated r you know at 11 i would think i would let toby watch gladiator because it's not that bad it's just fine you know it's violence it's not any different than video game violence but sorry i I was thinking like we just watched gettysburg just over a month ago and i was thinking that's got to be close to right no that was pg so was it wow wow yeah that was pg for me it's that you can't unsee things once you see them and I want to preserve... I'm not overprotective, mind you. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so Colby just gave me that, that eh, maybe hand sign. I just... I just want to preserve their innocence to a degree where I can. No, she's she's a proper balance for me. I'm not... I, I just... She's a proper balance for me. I, I would be a little too fast and loose with some of that stuff. And, and in a lot of ways, I'm the same way where... Melinda and I have these conversations of, are the kids old enough? Is this okay? You know, I, I, I've learned to run things by her with that because my perception, I think I was like 9, 10-ish when I saw my first rated R movie, I think. And that would have been Keanu Reeves' Speed. You know what? I think that might have been one of my first rated R movies too. Um, <laughs> and it was the VHS version, like it was taped off the TV. <laughs> <laughs> I was nine when I would have seen that. And we're trying to find that balance with Ray of, well, what, what games are appropriate, what movies are appropriate, and the movies are beginning to change more and more. Uh, you know, he's also the age where he's going into sixth grade, and sixth grade for me was when the Titanic came out. And the Titanic has a very adult moment in it that yep. in sixth grade I was going, and i saw that in theaters so i mean it was in theaters Uh, what's even more awkward is i saw that in theaters with a friend of mine and my parents right behind me yeah i'm feeling things i'm not used to (laughs) what's going on yeah (laughs) let's never talk about that again yep 
That's also, that's the dad's role. You know, the, the dad's role is to pull the kids away from the mother, especially the sons, and let them fart and and cuss a little bit. <laughs> Earlier this summer, Toby and I went out kayaking, and we're in the middle of the pond, and he's like, I gotta take a piss. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> I just kind of paused, and I was like, okay. Don't say that around your mother. <laughs> just do me and, that favor, please. <laughs> and, you know, again, with Ray, it's, it is trying to navigate that road of him finding the independence away from his mother and and knowing that that same independence is also then moving away from me as well yeah but enabling him to to grow into his own man in a, a good and proper way you know i i love my parents i love my father i love my mother but i look at the ways they unintentionally screwed me up in some way i've come to a point where i am understanding that it doesn't matter how good intentioned i am i'm gonna screw my kid up oh yeah not intentionally. Psychological and emotional blind spots. Yeah, and the thing I want to do is try and have that over-communication on the topic, whether it's a video game or a movie or, hey, we just took him to see Titanic and... I guess we need to talk about that. <laughs> so when two adults love each other... <laughs> yeah. We've had that conversation... <laughs> Oh, my kid's too smart. He he started asking that question in like second grade. I was like, oh, not yet, kid, not yet. <laughs> yes. I'm not ready. <laughs> I'm not ready. <laughs> but we've had that conversation, but we haven't had a um, encounter with a movie yet where it's, uh, I guess I got to talk to him about that. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of tailed away from video games a little bit in the parenting. We've kind of been doing a, a family and parental and life series and that was part of the point of wanting to talk video games as well oh, okay this is a part of of parenting today because whether you play them yourself or your kids play them how do you even begin to to navigate this yeah and i think there yeah. is more value in being a, a gamer parent and being able to play with and help them navigate from from that perspective yep but, yeah definitely our upstairs is in process of renovation. We do have a living room, but there's no air conditioning in there. <laughs> so, right now, the Xbox is in our bedroom. Last night, Toby was laying on our bed, playing the Xbox. I was sitting in one of the chairs. No, he was playing the Switch. Sorry. I was in the chair playing the Xbox. And he would talk to me about what he's playing, then he'd peek up and watch me, what I'm doing, and ask me questions about what I'm doing. I mean, like... That's a very modern millennial, you know, parenting type situation. And I had a blast. I thought it was fun, you know, and Lindsay was over on her laptop doing some editing and, you know, it was just, it was a, it was a fun evening and, you know, with some light chatter and, you know, I don't know. I like that. It was, it was cool. Yeah. And that's, that, that is a neat element of what it is to be family, but also have these, the tech to be in different spots at the same time. Um, you know, for, for us as a family, it's. The four of us sitting down and playing Minecraft together. And each of us have different ways to play. And we're talking and interacting through Minecraft and what's going on. But, yeah. Do you guys play multiple platforms and, like, network together? Like a LAN thing? Or do you guys play all on the same console together and split screen? Same console, split screen. Because okay. if I play it personally, I'll have it running on my Mac. 
and that's Java against the Bedrock Edition, and the two don't talk just yet, and okay. so I can't join in a game that way. So we'll, we'll play it as a family when we have all four of us on one big TV and a council. Do you play in survival mode? You guys, like, are trying to survive together as a family, or, like, what, what do you do? <laughs> so when we play as a family, I prefer to do it in survival mode. Because the kids drive me nuts when we do creative together. Because my son describes me as a red, redstone genius. And I've just figured out how to make stuff with redstone that I can hide and neat little contraptions, stuff like that. But what drives me nuts is if we play in creative together, they're camped out where I am. Because I'm building like these secret underground bases with redstone hidden doors and traps and, uh, you know self-changing maze kind of stuff with pistons and they're just like "Ooh, what's daddy doing what's daddy doing what's daddy doing it drives me nuts so i prefer to play it in survival which still ends up with what's daddy doing what's daddy doing what's daddy doing hey let's go raid daddy's farm yeah <laughs> which normally ends up to i have a bucket of lava i will go burn your house down leave me alone <laughs> nothing yeah. says love like i will burn your house down yeah. In Minecraft. Uh, that, that sounds just like parenting in general. Like, you know, I'm trying to reside the house <laughs> right now. And the whole time the kids are at me, like, when are you going to be done? Let's go swimming. You know, like, what's daddy doing? What's daddy doing? They're like, oh, can I use this piece of wood? Can I take this piece of wood out from under your feet so I can go build a fort? You know? <laughs> Kid, I'm touching wires. I'll burn the house down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're home. I always want to know what you're doing because you're always doing the cool thing. <laughs> or the dangerous thing. Yeah. Yeah, we... Yeah, about a month ago, from recording, we went out to a friend's 4th of July party, and he's got a nice, deep-wooded complex out in the middle of nowhere. So he bought a whole bunch of big fireworks. And uh, it, it was neat, because that was a moment where Ray's like, hey, what are you doing? How are we blowing stuff up? And so, you know trying to keep my son safe but also allow him to get that element and edge of danger yeah you know trying to balance that we wound up blowing up a uh we might have attached a few mortars to a cardboard cutout of a yeti and you know running and blowing that up and having fun with that but again he was he was at a safe distance for that but was seeing what happened what we were doing how we did and then how quickly we all had to run away once we lit the fuse yeah, yeah, yeah. Proper respect. Yeah, well, light that fuse and get the heck out now. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But so, and that's that's parenting. You you want them to be able to have fun and be at the edge, but at the safe end of that edge. Yep. Our 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 fun parenting little uh, project last weekend was. Um, so we have an old farmhouse that's all post and beam. Mm -hmm. We have a guy coming over here. I, I didn't want to deal with jacking up the house and replacing the whole sill mm -hmm. plate along the back of the house. It's an eight inch by 10 inch hemlock beam. Three of them that need to go in because it's 33 feet long as the house, mm -hmm. as the main part of the house. The whole sill needs to be replaced. So behind that plate is the septic tank. So the, the, the contractor that's doing the work for us had to plunk them down in the front yard. Because you can't go out back because it's a septic tank. So we put them down on logs, and you know I was like, "All right, Tobias, go out and see if we can figure out how to move these things." 
So what we ended up doing with Lindsay's help, integral help, I will I will add, <laughs> <laughs> not nominal, <laughs> integral. <laughs> She's the brains of the operation. <laughs> she was the bronze. Yeah. Oh. I was. Yeah, she was. <laughs> so I mean, these these beams are probably close to four hundred pounds a piece because they're green. Yeah. And uh, so we we did it like like the Egyptians did, and we had a, a long rope, and Lindsay and I pulled, and Toby ran and shuffled the logs to the front of the beams. And when we did three beams like that, you know, and so and the three of us did it all, you know, from the front of the house around out back up up over a little hill. You know, and it was just one of those really fun, like, oh, that, that was cool that my son got to be a part of this and see how he problem solved and, and did this whole project and try to keep him safe at the same time so he didn't get pinched. You know, it's things like that that the kids will remember the most. We never did three or four hundred pound beams, but I remember renovation projects with my father. But one of the biggest things I, I remember, and I still do with him to this day, is car work, you know. We need new brakes on the car. We can pop the tire off. We need a new muffler. We can do that. Yep. And Ray's come out, and he's helped us in the dead of winter as we were crawling under my car two years ago trying to get a bolt stuck on the muffler that was towards the manifold. And, you know, it's it's stuff like that that he'll remember that are, yep. are vital to the development of character that the child is. All right, we are at like an hour and 20 minutes <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh you know this has really become the 42 podcast after dark so this has been some good conversation and colby i'd love to have you on again i i have enjoyed and appreciated talking with you through yeah. video games and some fathering perspectives we should do like a, a all-out fathering episode that would be neat i'm down for that yeah absolutely definitely. kick yeah, kick Lindsay out and shoot him yeah. by. Let's talk <laughs> yeah. dad issues. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm all up for that. Yeah. Well, we should do that. We'll have to do that. Figure some time out. That might be a good way to kick season two off. Yeah. Yeah. Can you believe that we're starting that. to talk and think about season two? <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's been a trip. But uh, no, Colby, I have appreciated talking with and getting to interact and know you a little bit further. Uh, yeah, same. Lindsay has known Melinda and I. I guess I should have brought Melinda down at some point in this, but she's known Mel and I for years, and we, we've silently Facebook stalked you guys in in the quiet <laughs> years between. But it's good to have a face, a voice, and some inter- some interaction to to who Colby is beyond the entirely awkward soundbite that Lindsay took of me man crushing <laughs> on your beard. <laughs> Highly yeah, she sent awkward. that to me all at work. <laughs> oh, that was funny. Yeah, she sent that to me yesterday, and it's like, you need to listen to this. And so Mel was there, and I turned it on, and I'm listening, and I didn't have headphones on. And she's like, yeah. what is that? <laughs> it starts all dark. I'm like, I don't know, but I, Lindsay sent it, and I feel weird. And then everything started happening. I was like, oh, wow. Not only do I feel weird, I was weird. (laughs) But so funny. It is. It is. It's already. So by the time this episode comes out, it will have already been released on the channel as a bonus episode. So it's a quick little bonus episode to promo this conversation and finally meeting the man I have to buy a whole bar for, apparently. Mr. Colby. Buy a what? A bar, because you're awesome. 
Oh yeah, you didn't. Oh, okay. You like, didn't listen to that episode, did you? No, I didn't. I guess I didn't. Yeah, I. I gotta I, catch up. Yeah, in one of the episodes, I said, "Wow, your husband is amazing." I, I need to buy him a whole bottle or something. No, I need to buy him a whole bar. <laughs> Screw that. Okay. <laughs> so, that was just an episode or two ago. Yeah, I gotta get caught up. I, I, I I'm, a, I'm a few behind. I think the last one I listened to was a swearing one, honestly, and then. <laughs> I need to get caught back up again. <laughs> That's the one I still keep getting feedback for. I love that episode. I didn't oh, know really? you knew those swear words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to. I had to be careful tonight. She yeah. She made me cringe a few times talking about me, but she's not wrong. I do. That is. Uh, I have a wicked tongue, <laughs> and that is something that I. I wrestle with <laughs> when i drive i'm i'm pretty bad again that's part of life it's there how do we navigate it yeah. and that's that's what we're talking about yeah yeah let's call it a night colby it has been nice meeting you one of these days we will get our families together you and i will sit down smoke some cigars drink some something yeah i i have appreciated your company and conversation this evening same Lindsay, I have to say, I'm impressed. I'm on vacation, but somehow you got most of this night off. You did the least amount of talking. You guys are so interesting. (laughs) I'm going to do the most editing. (laughs) That's true. That's true. I'm out this week. But thank you, guys. I've appreciated this conversation and time. Yeah, same. All All right. Wait. Wait. Thank you for listening to the 42 Podcast. Please take a moment to like and subscribe. And if you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter to add your voice to the conversation. Thank you.